welcome back to Breaking Ground on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. This week, I'm chatting to Pat Barry, returning guest and C- uh, CEO of the Irish Green Building Council. Pat, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, uh, Carol, for having me on. Uh, no, I, I'm delighted. And it's been a big week for the Irish Green Building Council um, and certainly over the last week or 10 days uh, with the publication of the Roadmap to Decarbonise Ireland's Built Environment. And I think these were this is maybe the, the practical handbook that the industry has been waiting for for some time. So you might just talk us through that document and maybe the, the genesis of it. Yes, uh, we launched on Friday, uh, Building a Zero Carbon Ireland, and that is very much about um, setting out for the industry and for government what needs to happen to actually um, fully decarbonise the built environment, um, not just for the operation of buildings, but across the whole life cycle of buildings up to 2050. And I suppose we've set out interim targets for 2030. Uh, One of the things we did... um, uh, when we were developing the roadmap was to actually identify what the impact of the built environment is on Ireland's carbon emissions, um, because we typically think of buildings just uh, affecting the operate, the lighting, the heating, the cooling of buildings. But then you've got you've got that whole other area that's not really counted, uh, embodied carbon uh, of constructing all of our buildings and infrastructure. And I suppose that's what we were able to identify the actual total impact of the built environment and then kind of set out um, a whole series of solutions about how we might tackle uh, how we might tackle that for, from each sector and each professional group within um, planning and construction. Okay, and um, some of the some of the big points uh, certainly that I took from this document was. Um, around, uh, we've been talking about the importance of measurement over the past decade, but you, you've become kind of more specific about that as in to measure for performance and not merely for compliance and putting a more evidence-based approach forward. So what does that look like, say, for a portfolio owner? Well, I suppose we have been used to um, carrying out uh, BERs in our buildings and you know saying I've got a BER of a, a B rating or a, a D rating or an A rating but unless you actually go and measure how that building is performing um, it's not it, it may not be that useful because what we're finding is that this tends to be quite a considerable gap between what is an asset rating and what uh, when, when, when a BER is carried out for a new building, um, part, part of the reason it is done is to show uh, compliance with the building regulations. And the way compliance, the way you design a building for compliance is quite different to the way you would design a building if you actually wanted it to perform. Um, and it can be a considerable gap because the BER isn't actually a, it's not really a design tool. It's more of a compliance tool just to show you've, um, you've met minimum, um, you know, basic benchmarks, but it doesn't, doesn't really predict how it's going to perform. And that's why it's becoming really important for uh, portfolio owners to actually go and measure 
and see how the building has performed and then make adjustments to the systems, to commission the systems and make sure they actually are performing. Is there enough being done at a planning stage? And by planning, I mean design and planning stage for a building for um, the entire life cycle of that building. Because there, there has in the past certainly been quite very, well, quite separate steps for the design and build for the delivery of a building. And then the operation of that building over the course of its life cycle was almost... Um, it was almost uh, a different, it was maybe measured uh, on a different scale. So are we good at understanding at design stage and planning stage what the life cycle impact is likely to be? Well, I suppose we haven't really looked at it at all up until now, and it's only starting now to come into, uh, it's starting to come into play because of uh, taxonomy um, the taxonomy regulations uh, where you know for larger buildings the taxonomy requires you to actually measure the full life cycle of the building that means the actual carbon impact of um, manufacturing the materials the um, you know the right from the cradle to the grave you know right from quarrying materials, mining materials, transporting those to a manufacturing site, manufacturing the materials, then transporting them to the construction site, uh, building the building, and then the repair and maintenance of the building over its life cycle. So you may have a number of repair cycles during the building's life cycle. You may have to replace the flat, a flat roof several times. You might have to replace windows. Um, you know, you'll be repainting it you know, multiple times, and that all has an impact. And it actually depends on how you've designed the building it will impact the number of times, the number of replacement cycles and the number of repair cycles that you actually have. And then at the end of all of that, um, the way you've designed your building will determine um, how you deconstruct your building and how, you know, what potential there is to recycle the materials coming out of the building at the end of its life, whether it all needs to go to landfill or whether you can actually, you'll actually have some residual value um, of the materials that are taken out of the building that you can actually sell on or directly reuse. And um, I definitely want to come back to talk about waste because it's been maybe one of the more contentious issues across the construction industry. But in terms of say, just even our calculations, first of all, how easy is it um, to calculate the 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 carbon over the carbon impact over the life cycle of a building, that's the first part of the question. And the second part is how accurate are those calculations? I mean, obviously it's based on a lot of assumptions. So how easy is it to calculate and how accurate are those calculations? Do we know? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, the um, I suppose up until a couple of years ago, we wouldn't really have had the skill set to do it. But I suppose over the past two years, um, the tools and the data have improved considerably. So there's a lot more people in Ireland, who, a lot more professionals who can now do the calculations. Um, probably the one thing that we are working on at the moment ourselves is 
the comparability of those calculations uh, can be an issue because not everybody is measuring to the same scope. So whilst we have the data and we have tools that allow you to easily calculate, what they're including in the calculations isn't always um, the same. So some of them may be including certain elements of the building, um, such as you know the uh, finishes, and some may not be. And that's why we're currently working on a, an exact methodology that everybody would use in Ireland uh, that sets out exactly what you do use or, or what you do include. And also, if you don't have specific data for a particular material, um, that you're always using the same defaults for Ireland. So it will become easier to do over the next two years as we, well, over the next 18 months, as we lock in a, a methodology so that everybody does it in the same way and then you can compare it. Yeah, you know, again, there's a, there's a, I suppose, steps getting to best practice, but, you know, obviously your focus has been on Ireland built environment but I'm aware that you're you work quite closely with your certainly European car counterparts so in terms of uh, decarbonizing the built environment in Ireland are we leaders are we laggards or where on that spectrum do we sit? Um, we're probably uh, somewhere in the middle um, maybe we are laggards in some respects um, you know, of course, there's some countries have moved ahead, um, like the Nordic countries, um, and in, in terms of um, in terms of whole life carbon, you know, there's, there's countries like um, Finland, um, Denmark, Sweden, France, Holland, who have moved ahead, um, but. Countries are moving at different speeds. Perhaps the southern countries are moving a bit slower than we are, um, but the northern countries are definitely moving a lot faster. Um, are we in a position, are we poised to catch up? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think um, when we learn very quickly here in Ireland and um, once once a trend become established, we, we move very quickly. So I think we can catch up um, in the next year or two. Um, I, th I think we will, I think we will catch up. Okay, and obviously that's a positive one to hear. Um, the, the, your recent publication certainly focuses a lot on retrofit, but just for a moment, I want to talk about new homes because that's maybe where we see arguably some of the early wins that could be had but in terms of new home delivery now i know um the irish green building council emphasizes the need for uh, low carbon new homes um and i think there's maybe an assumption that that is what is being delivered is that assumption wrong well i suppose sometimes when we talk about nzeb um, the nearly zero energy building is always going to deliver low carbon homes. But um, what we're saying is uh, you, you, we've seen the recent CSO figures on energy use in homes. We don't necessarily, necessarily see a correlation between actual energy consumption and the BER rating of homes. And this comes down to a, a range of things. Um, 
if there's some very good research uh, also on the typologies of homes that result in low energy use and um, low carbon to construct. So quite often it has to do, if you've got a very large detached home, that's like a, a very large detached home in the, that's fully car dependent is almost like a little carbon bomb. It's so carbon intensive from the size of it, from the, quite often from the materials it's constructed of. And then if it's, um, if it's, if it's uh, fully car dependent, then the impact of that home is far, far greater than, say, a compact terraced home. Um, and this has to do with uh, the operational carbon. A small compact terraced home has very little heat loss because it's um, surrounded, it's got two houses either side, doesn't lose heat through either party wall, just mm -hmm. front and back. Um, it's very material and resource efficient because it uses less materials than a large detached home. And then if you take an apartment block, that's even more efficient again in terms of operation, you know, even without doing an awful lot to um, bring it up to, you know, ends up, it's already extremely energy efficient because it doesn't lose heat through the floor through the um, through through the but walls. But in terms in terms of apartment buildings, you know, I, at a time when we're having a conversation in Ireland about um, uh, scale and certainly about scaling up, um, in terms of efficiencies, um, do the efficiencies increase or decrease the higher we go with apartment blocks? Not necessarily. Um, you see, the higher you go, um, the more carbon intense the building becomes because you've got um, bigger foundations, you've bigger structure. Um, so if you're building, say, with um, cement and concrete and steel, a taller building can become less efficient. So, you know, it can quite often be the missing middle of density can be the, um, they, they call it the, uh, yeah, the missing middle where you're you're achieving densities of maybe up to 70 or 80 to the hectare, um, which is far higher than we currently build two or three stories at the moment. But when you get to that type of typology, you can build very low carbon um, structures and very low carbon operational as well. But to get to 70 to 80 to the hectare, you need a very different approach to the type of homes that we build, you know, the typical semi-detached homes that we build currently in Ireland and that our development standards allow. And when you talk about a different approach, are we talking about uh, developers and design and build teams having to take a different approach or is, it, is the approach that's required supported by the national planning framework at the moment? Probably, probably not, because it does require um, local authorities to, um, you know, look at their planning standards. Um, it, it requires them to look at parking standards. So if you're requiring one or two car spaces per home, then you've and you're requiring certain carriageway widths between the homes and you're requiring certain space standards and you know space um opposing distances it's really about moving towards very high quality design um getting architects allowing architects the 
um, chance to really innovate in layouts and achieve density, but high quality living, living places for people. And some very good examples, um, I think we point out in our roadmap, a, a scheme that won the Sterling Prize in, um, in the UK in 2019, is the highest architectural award there, where they achieved 82 to the hectare. They were passive house certified homes, you know, and, and relatively very dense. And it's, you need, the planning system needs to allow this type of innovative, innovative layout. Yeah, you know, and I suppose that's around the conversation with new homes, but um, certainly your publication is, goes to great, length to emphasize the need for retrofit and I know I, I'm not sure perhaps you could tell me is this an accurate figure but I'd, I've heard it quoted that globally 80% uh, of all the buildings that will be in occupation by 2050 are already built 80% of them so essentially retrofitting uh, really is the key to achieving targets but where are we in terms of um, attitudes towards retrofitting, the ability to be able to do that, the industry not seeing this as a threat, but actually seeing it as an opportunity. Um, is this something you're able to gauge, not just from your members within the Irish Green Building Council, but also by the other Green Building Councils, um, you know, internationally? Yeah, well, I think we pointed out that um given the huge levels of vacancies of 166,000 vacant homes, and then there's huge levels of vacancy within commercial uh, stock as well, and, and you know, um, accommodation above uh, retail spaces within our, within our towns, towns and cities, that there's a great opportunity there to bring life back into these towns and cities, and that we could probably achieve um we could we could um, source maybe 30% of all of the homes that we need up to 2030 from that existing space because i think as we pointed out it's not going to be enough just to reduce the carbon intensity of construction we're going to have to reduce the area that we construct by 2030 if we're going to have any chance of meeting our um climate targets um so that means there is a great opportunity from getting involved in in retrofit as the solution to, to our housing problem. Yeah, and again, you know, maybe the industry isn't seeing that for the opportunity that it is, and in some way almost may perceive it as as a threat to new homes delivery. And um, let before we finish up, I would like to talk to you about materials because again, that's another point that that's well made um, in the in your publication there, maybe about. Uh, approaches to innovating with materials and the use of innovative materials. Um, so you might just talk us through where the potential opportunities are here for the industry. Well, uh, I suppose one of the um, um, one of the things we really need to to do is to start research, doing a lot more research around the potential of. Um, materials, low carbon materials. One of the areas that we point out is we are largely an agricultural country. Um, you know, we've we we've we do have a large agricultural sector. I think that agriculture could play a part, both 
through forestry, increased forestry, um, by providing more materials from bio-based sources, because the benefit of uh, bio-based materials is that it actually captures carbon from the atmosphere. And then if we can lock that up for the next hundred years in a home, um, that, that stores that carbon uh, you know, within its building blocks. Um, so we really see the need for government to really get behind this and invest in research. And we are involved in the Construct Innovate, which is the new um, construction technology center, uh, which is being hosted uh, by, NU, by the University of Galway and a number of other universities. And that is a great opportunity for um, developers, contractors to get involved in research and seeing how we can innovate our way with new materials and new construction processes. Yeah, that's an, that's an exciting area and we're seeing quite a lot happening on the on the innovation space, you know, whether it's across state sponsored initiative, academia and indeed from the private sector, we're seeing the modern methods of construction MMC Ireland emerge. So there is definitely an appetite to solve some of these problems, but maybe what's what's needed now is again this roadmap for for the particular actions to take because i think the conversation around sustainability has really moved on in the last two to three years um right across the built environment but actually there's perhaps still some confusion as to you know we talk about uh technologies as to what the right technologies are we talk about measurement but what are the right things to be measuring so um you know through the irish green building council how are you advising your members and um, you know I, I suppose and, and for people listening in here particularly across the urban planning construction real estate and indeed prop tech and construction technology side you know what are the guidance um, the guidance and the action steps that they need to be aware of now well in our in our roadmap what we did essentially was we broke um, we broke the actions down for each sector. So for each sector, whether you're a planner, an architect, a mechanical engineer, a developer, a building owner, an investor, a quantity surveyor, we've got a set of evaluators, evaluators incredibly important as well. We've got um, a set of actions in there um, to things you should do immediately, things you should have done by 2025, and things you should have done by 2030. And really calling on all of the industry, all of the construction bodies to sign up and endorse the roadmap and look at those actions and see how you could implement those over the next couple of years. Okay, um, thank you so much for that. And um, thank you so much, Pat, for taking us through it. I mean, it really is a tremendous body of work. So well done to you your team at the Irish Green Building Council and indeed all of your members, um, you know, where I, I'm sure these insights are being sourced as well. Um, so well done to all involved in that roadmap. I would definitely recommend for anybody who hasn't had a chance to read it, maybe head over to the Irish Green Building Council website and take a look. Um, so for now, that's always time for, but my thanks to Pat Barry, Chief Executive Officer of the Irish Green Building Council. We need to take a quick break. Stay tuned.